And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Today, we return to Romans chapter 1, verses 11 through 15 to learn more about spiritual maturity and mutual ministry and also about fruit in our spiritual lives. And now with this message for today is our own Pastor Robert Elliott. Remember the mind of God as transcendent God, everything in the timeline is equally vivid. The past is as equally vivid as the present to God. The present is as equally vivid as the future to God. God looks at you. His will for you is for you to stand sure with the help of other believers exercising their spiritual gifts. You can't do this for yourself and you can't put a timeline on God. You can't say, I want to be made sure spiritually by this time next week. God has a program for you. It's unique. He's got the timing, and he's never late. So what does this mean? This means that individual believers can be brought to a point of maturity where they stand established in the faith, and the time taken for that accomplishment varies from believer to believer. So I have two questions of the text and of you. Number one, have you or are you now letting other believers into your life? so that the Lord can use those believers to bring you to a point of standing sure in your faith? Or are you bulletproof? Do you come to church bulletproof, where things are falling apart with your relationship with your child? And someone you've known for years comes up to you and says, how are things going? Fine. Just fine. Are you? Will you? Let a caring believer into your life to be real. God has sent that caring believer to really care for you. Are you going to reject the gift? If you have been a lone ranger Christian, proud, please let other believers care for you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Ask. There's nothing wrong with asking someone you trust in this church family to care for you. Would you care for me? I struggle with pornography. Would you pray for me? Ask me how I'm doing. I struggle with gossip. Will you hold me accountable? Ask me how it's going. Course correct, Christian. If you've been living the Christian life like it's a solo sport, ask and accept other believers in this church family getting close to you and being real with you and you with them. The second question, have you been or are you now content to let the Lord determine the time for the work of you being made to stand sure in Christ. We live in a microwave generation. Why have a slow-cooked crock-pot dinner when you can just go to the store and frozen? Seven minutes, you got it, because it doesn't taste as good as this crock-pot. It's more expensive than the crock-pot. We live in a microwave age. I'm telling you what, when I surf the channels on the Cable Bahamas, yeah, Cable Bahamas, when I surf the channels, if you don't get my interest in three seconds, you're gone. When I open a web page on my iPhone, if it doesn't open in 15 or 20 seconds, I'm gone. We live in a microwave age, but we can't come to being made to stand sure in Christ, which is God's work done upon us using caring believers around us. We can't come to that and say, by noon today, or forget it. 
You know, you can grow pumpkins in a season, but it takes a lifetime to grow an oak tree. Before we move off of verses 11 to 13, I have four things for us to think about. Number one, Paul understood that spiritual maturity is the goal of ministry. Our goal is not just seeing people get saved and put them in a corner and say, when the rapture comes, you'll be good. The goal of Christian ministry is spiritual maturity. That's why this church is a church. So people will gain spiritual maturity. Second, Paul realized that the exercise of spiritual gifts builds up. The New Testament word is edifies both the servant and the one being served. You cannot really care for another's spiritual maturity except you grow as well and they grow. Beautiful. Three, Paul sized it up that mutual ministry brings encouragement to all who are involved in the process. Come to church here today discouraged, down in the dumps, looking at the ground instead of the horizon. Encourage someone before you go to bed tonight. Phone someone in the church family and ask how you can pray for them before you go to bed tonight. Someone is battling an illness in the family, cook a casserole and take it over. Don't wait to be asked. Really care. Fourth, Paul anticipated that his future of going to the Romans wasn't yet realized, and he realized the fact he had never been there to visit them might be misinterpreted by some of the Christians there that he didn't really care for them, but he did. He had been prevented circumstantially from getting to Rome, and he said so in these verses. So in the first place, Paul really cared back then, and we are to really care for the people around us in this church family because of mutual ministry and because of edification. We go on. The second reason that Paul really cared and the reason you ought to really care for Christians is the winning of new converts. Paul understood that if he cared for the believers at Rome, if he regularly, unceasingly prayed for them, they would do the work of evangelism even as he was, and more people would come to Christ and be born again. Verse 13. And I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented thus far in order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Fruit. This is not the fruit of the Spirit, which, by the way, is not nine different fruits. Don't call them fruits. The fruit of the Spirit is singular with nine different perspectives on the beautiful fruit, Galatians 5. But what this is, fruit of the spiritual life. What is God wanting to produce on the branches of your life? If you have a mango tree and it produces fruit, the fruit is for nourishment and refreshment. In your Christian life, God, through the Holy Spirit within you, wants to produce certain fruit on the branches of your life for the spiritual nourishment of other people and for refreshment of others around you. What is New Testament fruit? Number one, I won't look up these passages, but I ask you to. Developing Christian character. 2 Peter 1, 5-8. Developing Christian character is a part of the fruit, one of the fruits God wants for you. Second, right conduct, life, and work. When you are led of God in obedience to have proper conduct, proper life, and proper work, you are seeing fruit produced on the branches of your life. Colossians 
Number three, fruit is those we lead to Christ, which is what we see in our text for this morning. Paul said, I want to get to Rome. I want to preach the gospel. I want to see people get saved so I can have some fruit in Rome. He saw new converts as fruit, and we should too. Verbalized praise like we did this morning. Responsive reading of the scriptures, singing to the Lord. Vocalized praise is a fruit that God wants to produce on the branches of your life. And fifth, fruit, according to the New Testament, is generous financial giving to the Lord's work. Romans 15, 28. May I just say something? The gospel is completely free to the person, but it costs the Godhead everything. And it costs a local church money to pipe it out. I challenge you to prayerfully ask the Lord, am I giving financially what I ought to give? I'll leave that with you. I don't know what anybody gives financially. I will never, never know. I don't want to know. It's between all of you and the Lord. I'll leave it at that. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas in another edition of Youth Talk. And today we want to continue on change and talking about prayer and how we've been talking about this whole um, series, how prayer equals change when, we, when you pray like Jesus prayed. And today, that's what we want to focus on. Um, the last couple of weeks, we talked about change. Not necessarily the kind of change that happened to us, but the change that we get to be part of through prayer. We've seen how prayer has the power to change things in us and around us and through us. We even talked about how some of our biggest struggles with prayer, like what happens when we don't know how to pray or when we pray for something, but it seems like we don't get an answer, but we still have so much more as we consider this whole topic on prayer. And today we want to talk about prayer, how to pray. And I think that so many times as we think of prayer, prayer can be challenging sometimes we think because we think that how we see sometimes the world looks at prayer, you have to have these special words and these big theological words when we go to prayer meetings. But the reality is, is that God doesn't want us, and it's not no special magical words. He just wants us to have reverence and respect with him. And as we look at this and we think of how prayer can be challenging, even the disciples found it challenging, and they wanted to know, how do we pray? As we see in Luke 11, verse 1, he says, He was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. As we see, we see how they wanted to, to, to know how to pray. As they, they saw the model prayer of Jesus as he prayed, and, he, and they saw how much time he spent praying to God. When we consider prayer, some people may say, what is the perfect prayer? How do we pray? Well, Jesus gave an example of prayer. And, and people like to say it's the Lord's Prayer. Um, we, people recite it. But what I want us to look at it is more of a model prayer of how we need to recognize um, the steps of prayer and how we need to recognize, as we talked about in the first lesson, how everything starts and finishes with God. You see, when you pray, you're talking to God. You're not just, you know, you're not just talking to an individual like we, we like to talk to our friends. And it's not to be a difficult thing, but we have to have reverence when we come to God. So when we consider this, let's look at what the Bible said and what, what this prayer says. And we can we look at Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 9, it says this. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if we forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. As we consider this, and we consider how this prayer starts, the prayer starts just where we, we've been talking about, our Father in heaven. We recognize who we're talking to. Imagine you for a second as, as you consider when you want to talk to someone. You want to get their attention. You want to call their name. You want to make sure they are, they are listening to you. And this is what we do when we consider and we come to our Father. And we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are showing reverence. We're showing that we respect this name. We, we show that we want you to hear us, God. And I think sometimes when we consider prayer, um, you know, prayer sometimes becomes where we, we just do our own thing. We uh, want to ask God for all of these things and without recognizing who we're talking to. When I consider this, this prayer, as, as like I said, we have heard it so many times. We can look at it this way as well as we consider the first point as we think of we're looking at the sky. We're looking above. The first thing Jesus does is he focuses on his relationship to his father. And as we consider this, this is Jesus talking. And he's showing them how to pray. He's recognizing he's talking to his father in heaven. Not his earthly father as we think of Joseph. What I want to recognize I'm talking to you, my father in heaven. What a What a start to think about what a way to show his disciples the model prayer. Also, as we walk through this passage, we, we'll see how um, everything again points points to God. We show this God isn't distant. He's not far away, but he being a father. And this was a new understanding for many of the people who were listening as they heard Jesus talking and how he's shown them this model of prayer that we need to recognize Jesus is there for us. Access. And when we consider that, um, the Old Testament, with the, only the priests had the access. But now Jesus is saying, look, you're going to all have access to pray to our Father. Pray to God the Father. And what a, a great thing for us as Christians to know that we can call on the name of Jesus anytime. The name of God, we can call on it. It's not like it was before. It goes on and says this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Again, as we consider this, and, and some virgins say, may your name be kept holy. Jesus reverses the order in which many people pray. As we, again, as we, we look at a lot of people's prayer, they always want to start off with their needs. But God, I need this. God, I want this. God, I need this. But yet, he doesn't talk about any of that yet. And so many times we talk about the model of prayer. People use the acronym ACTS. And the first thing we are looking at is the adoration. We're looking at how we can adore his name, how we recognize his great and powerful name. And I think that so many times we ourselves forget this. We ourselves try to just jump the gun and just try to ask God for all the things that we want and need instead of really focusing on who God is. You know, as we consider this passage, as we consider and and, you know, we're running out of time this week to, to really unpack some more truth from this passage. But I want us to, as we close this session, I want us to consider something. 
I want us to consider when you pray, what is it that you want out of prayer? Do you want prayer to be just you giving a list of things that you want or need? Or do you want prayer to be all about God, all about who he is, all about what, not what he has done already, but what he is doing in your life, how he is great, how he's awesome, how there's no one like him. You see, he deserves all of our adoration. And I would challenge you as, as you, as we close this, this week, that you would tune in next because we can continue to look at this model prayer. And we continue how, first of all, we need to start with God. And as we go through this, we will show you exactly how Jesus showed his disciples how to pray and how we need to look at this model prayer and use it in our own walk of life. This is Pastor Nicholas Min, another edition of Utah. And now, today's personal God story. Well, this morning, I'm very pleased to have my friends in the radio studio, uh, Duet and Sally Simonette. How are you? Fine. Fine, thank you. Wonderful. These wonderful people have a very interesting story that is a story of God's grace, a story of second chances, and a story of a happy ending. And I'm going to start by um, asking Sally, um, when did you first meet DeWitt? I met him at, at, at Eleuthera. Okay, what settlement in Eleuthera? I think it was Rock Sound. Rock Sound. Rock Sound, Eleuthera. I can't remember. Yeah, DeWitt, was it Rock Sound? Rock Sound, Eleuthera, yeah. Okay. And um, the preacher that was uh, brought us together was Talmadge and Marjorie Butler. Yes. And they died. Mm -hmm. They died now, yeah. So they kind of put you together. They as did put us together. They did put us together. Dating. And dating and everything. And we went to the Evangelistic Temple. That's where we used to go. Okay. At church. Sure. Then we came down to Nassau. And okay. And so after you met, uh, eventually you married. Yes. Eve wanted us to get married before they left to go to Africa. They were supposed to go to Africa. Oh. I think it was Africa, do we? Yes, Kilgore. Yeah, to, to Africa, yes. Yeah. West Africa. Kilgore. Kilgore, Africa. Interesting. Yes. So that pastor married you? Yes. Was that in Eleuthera? No, that was here in the Evangelistic Temple. Oh, it was an Evangelistic yeah. Temple. Yeah, we okay. got married there, yeah. Here in Nassau. Right in Nassau. All right. I could never forget. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. So um, you had uh, some, I'm sure, good days, but also some difficult days. In your marriage, is that fair to say? Yes, yes. Some so, good days and some difficult days. Yes, and so no doubt there are some precious listeners right now yeah. who are involved in marriages that are having difficult days. And so I think if we talk a little bit about that, yeah. uh, it may help them. So, uh, it what do you think were some of the, the problems that you and Sally encountered after you got married? Uh... Problem number one is we did not take the vows as serious. You didn't take your vows as we as uh, we should have. Okay. Because so there was nothing wrong with the vows. It was that you didn't take the vows as seriously serious. as you should have. Right. Of course, back in those days, uh, there was no no one um, constantly you to give you counsel for getting married oh. or nothing like that. Yeah. So, um, it, it, it looked like it, it depends on, um, 
the family you're going into or coming out of, um, if the if the parents didn't like the fellow who the daughter was going with, they would they would speak in front of the, the fellow and say, look, your room is always here. If you don't work out, you know, you come out, which meant they never meant good uh, to start with. So maybe the until death us do part had a plan B. <laughs> well, it wasn't carried out. It wasn't yeah. carried out. No. Yeah. no. Sally, would you add anything to that? What difficulties did you have uh, in your marriage? Well, <clears throat> some of the difficulties was that, that we were very, we were young, and um, I didn't want to listen to him, and he didn't want to listen to me. Mm. That was the biggest problem. Yes. And did you have trouble talking to each other? Yes. We had a lot of trouble. And then he now was home at the time. You know, he was always working. And I was always left alone. I didn't work at those days. I didn't work. Yes. And I think that was the biggest problem. Okay. Because, yes, not now, talking to one another. Yes. And when he come at nighttime, well, I'd be tired and, you know, I'm sleepy. And, yeah. And, and, and no talking. I think it's the most important thing. And the most important thing in life, with a marriage, you must be talking to one another. Yes. You must talk. Communication. And communication means a lot. About easy things and about hard things. And about things. everything. About everything. About everything. Right. Now, let me ask you, did you know the Lord as your Savior when you got married? I did. Sally, you did. I did. I got saved under Talmadge Butler. Okay, under Pastor at, Butler. Yes, at Cherokee Sound Abaco. Yeah. Cherokee Sound Abaco. <laughs> yes. Praise the Lord. And DeWitt, would you say you were a Christian when you got married? Yes, I was. Good. So you knew the Lord as your Savior, too. Oh, yeah. So uh, you were equally yoked, not unequally yoked. Yes. And uh, you <clears throat> didn't get any pre-marriage counseling because it was, really wasn't offered back then. No. So you lear learned a lot from your own parents, good and bad. Yes. About marriage, or right? Friends. Or friends. Yes. Friends. Okay. Um, well, that's sort of the start of your story. And... Uh, I guess uh, like a crack in the sidewalk only gets wider if you don't fix it, then these problems that may have started uh, smaller got worse. Is that fair to say? Right. Yeah. And then what happened uh, toward the, the end of uh, your marriage? And listeners are saying the end of their marriage, but here they are in the radio studio. Well, stick with us. Don't, don't lose us. Um, so... What happened as the problems got more severe? How, what was kind of the outcome of it? Um, Pastor, can you imagine getting down on your knees before a person and telling them that you are sorry and uh, whatsoever it is, uh, forgive, you know, forgive? Yes. And... Um, Oh, after a period of time, it was not considered. Um, some will say, hey, "Well, um, it's not. It's it, it, it's you know, it's not uh, good." You know what? We're going to leave our listeners hanging a little bit with the story. We're going to continue right where we left off in your story in our next broadcast. So, listeners, come back next week. You don't want to miss the next installment of Dewitt and Sally's story, believe me. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this dear couple who come uh, before you and before 
the radio microphones and before our listeners with humility and transparency. Thank you, Lord, that uh, the same way you've helped them through their difficult problems in marriage, you are there to help others. Lord, be honored and glorified in uh, the next stages of this story. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com That's eocradio at gmail.com Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. I have a question that comes to us from Mark chapter 16 and verse 16 Mark 16 16 reads Jesus words he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned and so the question is do you have to be water baptized in order to be saved A fancier way of asking the same question is this. Is baptismal regeneration taught in Mark 16, verse 16? Here's the answer. The words of Jesus, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, may lead someone to think that baptism is necessary for salvation. However, the very next phrase reveals clearly that this is not the case. Jesus goes on to say in the same sentence virtually, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. The only basis for condemnation is a refusal to believe. There is no condemnation for failure to be baptized. It may be concluded then that the only basis for salvation is belief in Christ, not belief and baptism. While baptism does not save, that is not to say that baptism is unimportant. The New Testament knows of no true believer that was not baptized in water. Those who believed were identified with Christ and his local body of believers by water baptism. See Acts 2 verse 41. Acts two, Acts eight, rather verses thirty six to thirty eight, Acts sixteen, thirty one through thirty three. So, whereas water baptism does not save, we could say that water baptism publicly announces that a person has already been saved. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at 
eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior. Savior.